Welcome to The Complete Angler, your source of information on the outdoor industry in central Canada. With over 35 years in the field, host Don Lamont covers topics and issues with industry leaders and influencers to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the outdoor world. And now, here's your host, Don Lamont. Lowell Strauss is a Saskatchewan-based international award-winning writer, photographer, and all-around outdoor adventurer. For over 15 years, his authentic lifestyle photos of people, gear, and dogs have helped narrate his writing, outdoor stories, recipes, and articles created for digital and print media. Lowell is an avid hunter, shooter, angler, camper, and canoeer who shares his campfires, food, and friendship with all who yearn for the backcountry. He grew up on a farm near Last Mountain Lake, where he fell in love with fishing as well. Over the last two years, he has been contributing articles to Hooked Magazine. Hey, Lowell. Uh, welcome to the Complete Angler Podcast. Great to have you on. Thanks, Don. Thanks for having me. Well, I found out about you through uh, Instagram, actually, and we have a mutual friend in Ken Bailey, another outdoor writer. And I understand you're also a member of the Outdoor Writers of Canada. That's right. Uh, I am a member, uh, have been for some time. Probably that's that's where my, I got my start in the industry. I uh, uh, Way back in 2008, I saw there was a conference being held in Saskatoon, so it was nice and close, and uh, I decided to check it out. And uh, I guess the rest is history, but uh, I, I am a member of that organization. They've recently changed their name to the professional outdoor media of canada uh probably a little bit of a an update to reflect the the membership base more than just writers but uh uh podcasters and video producers and and uh photographers and and everything like that so so uh, lowell how long have you been sharing your stories on the outdoors with the public well I, like i said 2008 was like conference uh sort of played around I, I actually I think my first interest in this started I saw a advertisement in the back of a magazine Roger Brunt had the North American School of Outdoor Writing and wow. I thought hey that sounds like something really cool to do uh, at the time I was working uh, in in the conservation side of things um, and uh, but I've always enjoyed the outdoors so I guess about 2008 I went to this conference and started writing um, you know, nothing published until probably 2010. I got my first article published and, uh, yeah, things from there kind of snowballed and, uh, been writing ever since. And the rest is history. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you grew up close to one of my favorite places, uh, last mountain Lake. I've spent a lot of time there over the years, fishing tournaments and hanging around with my friend, Rob Schultz, who's runs gns marina and outfitters there you know the great last mountain lake is a fantastic lake now i understand you grew up on a farm close to there that's right i actually know rob quite well i i grew up in strasburg on a farm in strasburg um so just uh, east of last mountain lake and uh yeah our our uh, our farm was nice and close to town so i had sort of the benefits of town and and farm life at the same time but uh did get to enjoy uh, some of that area growing up. Last Mountain Lake, phenomenal resource for fishing. Um, and then uh, the probably lesser known Last Mountain Hills, uh, just adjacent to uh, Strasburg there and uh, lots of good hunting opportunities up there. Yeah, and that's good waterfall country, is it not? 
Absolutely. Uh, the area surrounding there is, is uh, right. You know, the, the whole East shore, uh, both shores of the lake are, are wonderful waterfall habitat. So, uh, um, and sort of part of the main migration corridor uh, of the central flyway here, we see a lot of birds coming through. So, well, you're in the best of both worlds. You got hunt and fish. That's not bad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so, I was reading your uh, bi biography, and the, you mentioned that um, you got started hunting waterfowl when you're a knee-high grasshopper as soon as you get your hunter safety certificate. That's right. Yeah, I I couldn't wait to get out. Um, didn't know a lot about it. My my grandpa was more of a, a deer hunter, uh, I'd say, but uh, waterfall was what we went after first. And uh, yeah, we learned we learned how to uh, you know again with the abundance of waterfall, we didn't have to be fancy. We we did hidden rock piles and hidden <laughs> brush lines, and <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, it, it it worked well. Puddle jump, you know, we we I learned how to. Uh, to hunt from from just you know very very basic uh, equipment and uh, very little know-how and it was long before the days of the internet where you could uh, watch YouTube videos and watch and learn from other others. So again, I poured over outdoor publications that uh, you know I still now many years later I'm writing for, which is which is kind of humbling. But um, it's uh, yeah, I, I I guess I cut my teeth on hunting uh, with waterfall hunting. Yeah, I'm same as you. My dad grew up a farm near Margaret, Manitoba, and we would go back every fall. So I got my hunter safety certificate as uh, as early as you could. Was it, what was it about ten or eleven or twelve? I can't remember. For Saskatchewan was twelve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think it varies by province, but okay. Yeah. Now, do you do you teach that course? I do. I sort of come full circle. So yeah, both my wife and I are are uh, safety instructors for the hunter safety. Uh, course as well as the federal firearms course so uh yeah it's it's a real pleasure to uh sort of pass it forward uh in many ways um the the sport and and uh lifestyle that i love so much um and you know i it it's fun i i'm you know we i grow i work in a small community here uh my kids go to school in a small community and lots of these kids end up coming through the course and uh it's fun to watch them grow and progress in their outdoor uh, pursuits. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Uh, yes, you got to educate the young, that's for sure. Um, you've uh, written a number of different articles for us. Um, I think my favorite one was the one you did on foraging uh, in the uh, in the summer issue. It was uh, the, the the pictures were fantastic, and the editorial was outstanding. Um, tell us a little bit about your passion for that, because I know that you mentioned that your family and you almost live entirely off wild game. That's right. Yeah. It's, um, I guess it's something I, I, again, growing up on a farm, we had a mixed farm. Um, so we had a garden, we had chickens, you know, eggs, uh, we, we raised meat, pigs and, and, uh, sheep and, and the cattle and that sort of thing. Um, so in some ways I learned those basics uh some of those those basic skills uh at an early age um then eventually as i say i started into waterfall hunting um later big game hunting uh and started exploring uh the foods around me um 
again, my family loved uh, going, you know, Saskatoon berry picking in the fall, uh, making choke cherry syrups and jams and that sort of thing. Um, started started seeing uh, wild foods all around us, right? And uh, uh, I remember one hunt, um, this would have been probably in late in high school, went on a mule deer hunt and saw all these juniper berries. Um, and I thought, hmm, wonder if we could use these juniper berries. So I picked them and put them in my pocket and later found out that you could make a nice, uh, almost like a gin style sauce with these juniper berries. And um, yeah, it's, it, you know, food is all around us. And I've, uh, I, I am by no means an expert. My plant, my wife is much more of a plant expert than I am. Uh, so I, I rely on her skills for identification and, and she uh, loves this as much as I do. So but uh, our, our family does eat a lot of wild meat, um, uh, fish and, and fowl and, and uh, big game. So. And there's very few things in the world that are better for you, by the way. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a lean, a lean protein. Um, it's always amazing. Occasionally we all end up buying some, some ground uh, meat from the store. Um on, on the very rare occasion, or sometimes we're making a, a meal for somebody else and they, they're not crazy about wild game. So we'll, we'll buy some and it's like, Hmm, it's, it's much, uh, much different cooking with, with uh, commercial meat uh, than it is wild, wild game. Well, tell us a little bit Lowell about the story that you wrote for the summer issue when you went to uh, that camp North of Edmonton. And uh, if the highlight was, you know, for finding your own food, first of all, then cooking it, then enjoying it. Yeah, I, I mean, it was uh, it was really really an outstanding experience. Kevin Coswin uh, in Alberta has has got his uh, boreal camp there, um, and I was able to experience that uh, with a number of other writers. Um, I guess we all came at it from a slightly different background, which was was interesting. Um, I came more from the outdoor angle, and so. A lot of what he was, you know, the plants and things he was telling me about were familiar to me, but he, he used them in ways that uh, I hadn't seen uh, prepared before. Um, he he sort of, uh, one really neat analogy he said was the uh, food is built up in, you know, he, he likes to build layers uh, of flavor into his foods, just sort of like the layers of uh, the forest, you know, you've got your your base layer and your your canopy and, and everything in between and he likes to build those flavors into his food so he looks for for different foods and different foods throughout the season and so we were there in september um and so you know some of the some of the you know the flowering plants had had finished but there were there were berries to be had um there was uh, uh drinks that he made from fireweed um different things from alder cones and it, it was really you know in in some ways there's a lot to take in it's one of those courses that i encourage anyone who's interested in in learning about wild foraging i think he teaches courses like that throughout the summer and i think there's others as well learning you're learning your plants learning what you can do with them um yeah that it was uh, very enlightening he 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 uh had a whole section on mixology where he makes wild uh wild um infusions of flavors from different plants and then he mixes those with with alcohol and uh makes drinks um yeah it was it was good 
Yeah, and uh, boy, I wish I would have had that invite to that too. That looks fantastic. Now, <laughs> where do people find out more about that kind of thing? Do you have a place uh, that you go to, like for information? Um, I guess specifically, are you thinking about um, just that's learning about wild foraging? or Yes, that's correct. Yeah, um, I guess there is a there is a bit of a, a community online that I, I would say um, is it the first place to start. And whether it's Instagram as we connected or or other places where you start to see um, other people of like interests that are are producing um, products uh, from wild foods, um, I think that's probably. Uh, I, I find the community very open and sharing. Um, so I think that's probably the first place to start. Things like mushrooms sort of scare me. Um, and and I know that's something that you should be going with uh, local experts um, because, you know, mushroom foraging is is uh, a thing in and of itself. But um, so being self-taught, I, I, think, I think that's probably either take a course or, um, um, you know, there's some, some good books out there. Um, I probably uh, I could provide you with uh, with a few resources uh, if you want to put them in the notes. I will certainly do that so people can look it up and uh, also how to contact you for uh, follow you on Instagram. That's where I follow you. And um, now we got you to do in the fall issue, uh, as you know, as we've discussed, cooking's a big part of who we are. I love to cook and uh, I'm always looking for new recipes I've tried doing fish a million different ways because, of course, I, over my 42 years, I've had access to that. Um, I've had a lot of people, different people cook for me. Um, so in this latest issue, uh, the fall issue, you talk about poison duck. Tell me how, where you found that recipe. <laughs> well, um it's sort of it's a little bit of our own creation but probably inspired from some of the uh, small asian restaurants that uh, my wife and i like to frequent when we were in university okay um the the hoisin is a uh, very much uh uh it's a, a bean curd that's uh you know it's got a very unique flavor to it and uh often served with noodle bowls and that sort of thing. And we found that the dark flavor of the hoisin really paired well with wild duck. Um, Hank Shaw is another person who uh, I've learned a lot from over the years. I had the opportunity to work with uh, Hank Shaw and uh, some of his recipes have certainly inspired uh, my cooking uh, as well. Um, and uh, he also instructs people on you know how how best to prepare things and again preparing the duck properly um and and making it you know cooking it to medium rare and and having the perfect duck breast really pairs well with this this dish so the flavors uh sort of the sweet and savory flavors of the the asian cooking along with the the wild duck the the you know duck has got a very rich uh strong flavor um and I, th I find this pairing really, really goes well together. And of course, uh, duck goes well with a lot of Asian dishes. So, uh, It sure does. And they, they raise them domestically, but they're not quite as strong tasting as a mallard. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's, it's tough to get a, a, a better feed than a grain-fed mallard that you've just had the pleasure of uh, cleaning. They're unbelievable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, uh, especially um, once you get into about uh, mid-October when they, they're nice and fat, um, you can really 
see a change in the the skin and the fat color and and how much fat there is and it i mean that just crisps everything up and makes it delicious so yeah there's no more pin feathers either <laughs> that's right <laughs> i want to ask yeah, you a little uh, sorry lol i want to ask you a little bit about uh cooking geese because uh my friend in carrot river he's a avid outdoorsman and he slow cooked uh canada goose for me about i don't know eight years ago and and basted it constantly and it came out of the oven and it was one of the most delicious meals i've ever had in my life how do you like to prepare them well there's a number of ways for geese um it, it's funny uh you should mention that like one of the one of the parts that snow goose hunting is one thing where you get lots of birds and it's okay okay now what do we do with them so i often instead of plucking snow geese i part them out um so i'll I'll separate off the breasts and the legs and the thighs. Um, and, you know, after that on the bird, there's not a whole lot of meat left. But uh, um, so there's sort of two main dishes that I do with with geese. And this can be done with with big honkers, too, um, is uh, taking, you know, for the breasts, I, I like to take the breasts off and then I will cross cut them and uh, cook them like medallions um, that works really well and then again a nice rich sauce uh, over the over the top of the medallions um, you know depending on the age of the bird and sometimes you can tell when you've got a young bird then those those make the best frying birds um, if if you got an old tough an older bird it could be tough then I would certainly go with the uh, the slow slow cooker approach um, the one thing that I've learned over the years is if to to really brown the meat well before you put it in the slow cooker because I find waterfall can sometimes get a a bit of an odd taste if it's if it's just cooked in juice um, and not have that nice brown flavor to start with. So I'll, I'll even take um, so which leads me to cooking the legs and thighs, which some people throw away, which is. Uh, it's sort of a shame because they're, they're absolutely dish, delicious if you know how to cook them. My my kids love a sweet and sour um, goose leg dish that I do. Very, very simple. Um, I take and braise the the legs, usually on the barbecue. Um, if I can, that uh, gets a, rid of a lot of the fat and uh, gives them a nice crispy uh, coating and and makes, makes them uh, nice and brown and, and flavorful. Then I throw them in the, the slow cooker. Uh, fill it with liquid and uh, cook that for, um, you know, four, six hours in the slow cooker. And they're the, basically the meat falls off the bone. And then I add the, uh, the homemade sweet and sour sauce, which is super simple. Three quarters of a cup of brown sugar and uh, half a cup of water, half a cup of uh, white vinegar uh, and a little bit of mustard powder. And uh, you bring that to a, oh, and a little bit of cornstarch to thicken it, bring it to a boil um that's your sweet and sour sauce pour that over the legs and and uh yeah there's seldom leftovers on uh, sweet and sour leg night so <laughs> <laughs> you're really making me hungry I, I opportunity came up a few years ago i never hunted sandhill crane before a friend of mine paul conchat owns uh birdtail waterfowl here in manitoba he's just south of the Rocky mountain national park so he invited me out to come and do a story uh the Canadians are allowed to hunt before the Americans. So there's two week window where the Canadians can come and hunt. So he invited me in that window. And so we got to hunt Sandhills and then there's chef there. Uh, you know, we cleaned the birds and, and then he prepared Sandhill crane and it was absolutely to die for. Yes. Tell yeah, us about no, that. I, I, I completely agree. We've um, the Sandhill cranes 
uh, uh, sort of congregate just north of where I am here. And, and they were here in late July. And it's like my mouth starts watering when, <laughs> when I hear the sandhill greens coming because I know how delicious they are. Um, we used to, again, learn a lot of my my cooking has been learned over time. I remember we used to roast them um, and that was not the way to do them because they, nope. they tend to dry out and, and get quite tough. But done like a steak, you know, the sirloin in the sky, um, uh, adage that they've, or the uh, moniker that they've, they've, uh, gained is, uh, quite true. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And he, he, they like to cook it medium rare, just like a sear on a, on a nice, uh, a nice steak. Yes. Absolutely. And, and again, they, they will make a nice up sauce, at... right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. What's your favorite sauce on Sandhill? Mm-hmm. Uh, I often do a sort of a reduced, like a cream sauce. Uh, um, just, yeah. Yeah. No junipers. Uh, I haven't done juniper on Sand Hill. Um, sometimes a red, a red uh, wine reduction, um, as well. Yeah. There's, there's several, several sauces that are, are good. Sometimes I just cook it and eat it like steak. So, uh, I'll even, you know, I'll even season it like I would a venison uh, steak, um, mm-hmm. with, with different spices, uh, pepper and keep it simple. Sometimes simple is best, um, just to bring out the flavor of the meat. I agree. Okay. So we came out of post COVID, uh, during COVID, there was a lot of people that decided to, uh, rejoin the outdoors. And, uh, we saw a huge uptick in license sales, fishing license sales here in the Western Canada. And I think there was a, a lot more interest in hunting as well. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. I, uh, I think we we've seen a, a big uh, spike in, in numbers. I think it was, it was something to do uh, during COVID people took up the, the skill um, perhaps uh, maybe um, I think some people took it up for the very first time. Uh, so there was, there was a sort of a quest for knowledge. Uh, how do we do this? And, and that sort of thing. Some people just learned as they went, but certainly I, I've seen, seen that, that trend as well. Uh, I think hunting license, uh, especially through the draw system, the the numbers are way up. So it's it makes it a little bit more difficult to draw a tag because there are, there is such interest in uh, hunting different different species of big game. But uh, certainly, uh, and and the same with angling. I think people have um, really come to enjoy uh, the outdoors and and uh, the outlet that it provides. So. Well, we certainly saw that at the boat launches during COVID. There was a 32% uptick in license sales in most uh, provinces and the U.S. as well. So it did have a yes. huge impact. So what does the future hold, uh, Lloyd, for uh, hunting, fishing, foraging? I, I know foraging has become really, really popular. Absolutely. it it's uh, It's interesting. I think people... That's one of the changes I think I've seen over time is that people are interested in where their food comes from. Uh, people are interested in a little bit on f- food security um, and, and the, the ability to, to uh, realize that there is food around them that is, is uh, readily available. Um, so I, I do think there is uh, quite an, an interest in, in foraging, um, mushrooming, um, berry picking, all those sorts of things, even if it's not the, the, um, really crazy stuff but it's it's uh, there is an interest in that and um 
I, I think it will continue to grow. I, I think there's in some ways uh there was there was a, a gap almost a generational gap that that of people that sort of missed out on that because people have been foraging for for hundreds of years uh millennia and uh and just now are we maybe coming back to this um and seeing how important it is to us and and connecting with nature through uh through your food is a big thing too so i i think there is a lot of uh a lot of positives um with with these with these trends, um, both for uh, hunting, fishing, and the foraging. Well, you know what it does, and you mentioned that in your biography. It promotes sustainability. It Absolutely. really does. It really yeah. does, and that's the key. And uh, people really care about the outdoors now, and are willing to partake and not be afraid to learn and try different things and be out there. And once they do that, most of them can't believe what they've missed all their life the new ones that is that's right yeah and and i i i see the the future being bright with a with a, a very positive attitude uh one of you know not over harvesting um you know i think i think some of the changes i've seen is people were very focused on getting limits and uh, all that sort of thing and i think that is sort of shifting uh from you know we had a great day out fishing and we brought home a few fish to eat um, and we we're happy with that right and and the, we let the let the rest go yep i totally agree well you can find lowell at where lowell on social media probably the easiest is uh at strauss outdoors so it's s-t-r-a-u-s-s -S, outdoors uh all one word i'm on instagram um facebook and infrequently on twitter uh, so um yeah, yeah very yeah. infrequently or whatever they yeah. call it now x x yeah <laughs> yeah so um yeah you look for lowell in the fall issue of uh, hook magazine he talks about hunting some geese up north he has that special recipe we talked about we'll also uh provide some other uh links to um reference books that uh, lowell recommends and so you can all find that on the complete angler podcast site on the hookmagazine.ca website and uh, this podcast will be in conjunction with that issue so lowell you're the first one this is going on the back page of the fall issue uh, your oh. biography and all your information and how people can find you so thanks That's so much well. for doing this thank you don it's been a real pleasure to chat with you okay lowell we'll talk soon thanks so okay. much Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. Visit hookedmagazine.com to subscribe to The Complete Angler and never miss an episode.